You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with y'all on this Wednesday, a kind of game day for your New Orleans Pelicans taking on their first preseason scrimmage. I don't really know what we're calling this. They're playing the Nets tonight in a a small scrimmage. We're going to touch on this briefly. There's not a whole lot to read into this. This is one of those things we need to watch and kind of then see what's important to take away from it. This could be a little bit weird. I know we're just excited. So we'll touch on that. But then I have another guest coming on to preview the Sacramento Kings, Matt George of Locked On Kings to talk about it. But then our conversation just kind of went all over the place with everything. And this is one of the more enjoyable chats I've had with another bubble bubble team here in the NBA's restart. So I'm just going to play the whole thing in its entirety. So we'll briefly talk about the scrimmage. Not so worried about that as much as just watch it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Tomorrow, once we know what's important from it, and then just enjoy the chat between Matt and I. So let's dive into it in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. All right, so it is the scrimmage today on pelicans.com. 6 p.m. Central is when you'll be able to tune in and watch it. It's going to be the radio broadcast group of Todd Graffinini, Caroline Gonzalez, and John DeShazer. It's just going to be nice to see like things getting played. The first scrimmage game, this one, is going to be four 10-minute quarters instead of 12 I think they're just kind of easing people back into it the rest of the scrimmages will be 12 minute quarters it's all really no you know there's media availability uh, around all of this it's still weird with zoom trying to mimic the game day experience that we normally go through when we're in the smoothie king center but virtually and from home it's odd this is just going to be a little bit weird uh we don't know if this is going to kind of feature all the arena stuff they're planning and all of that I I don't know what to necessarily expect from this Uh, So just watch it. That's kind of my plan. Enjoy it. We'll talk about it on Twitter. We'll talk about it here on the show tomorrow with what the key takeaways are from it. Because I don't know what to expect. I don't necessarily know if anyone knows to expect other than we'll see the Pelicans and the Nets playing something that resembles basketball. Simple. There we go. All right. So we don't need to spend much time previewing it just for that reason. So instead, let's just jump into the conversation I have with Matt George of Locked on Kings as we preview that team, which could be one of the biggest threats to the Pelicans in the final playoff spot in this race for the eighth spot. But also, we just kind of touched on the NBA in general, which was really great. So let's jump into it with Matt and I. Joining me now on Locked on Pelicans, I've got Matt George, host of the Locked on Kings podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt George. K-H-T-K. Matt, thanks for taking a few minutes. Jake, it's a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Uh, Best of luck to your Pelicans, although I'm hoping that our Sacramento Kings here uh, can finally end their playoff drought and uh, and slow this quick rise to stardom that Zion and these Pelicans are enjoying right now. It's going to be a fun race, and hey, at least we'll have basketball back, so we all win in the end. Yeah, I think everyone's happy no matter how this all plays out. But I'll I'll tell you, you know, looking at kind of this, this restart in the eight games that are all going on, as a Pels guy wanting them to get in, I'm not as worried about the Memphis Grizzlies who are likely going to be stuck at eight. So this is a race for the ninth seed to me. I don't know if I really believe in that Portland team so much. Seeing the Kings and how good uh, the basketball was from them when the NBA hit that stoppage point, they are kind of the team that I'm the most scared of. But then kind of seeing the situation around them a little bit right now, I'm less scared about it. 
Well, assuming they are healthy and De'Aaron Fox is playing, now the Kings haven't been healthy literally at all this year. Not once have they had their entire uh, team available to play, except for the first half, you could say, of game one in Phoenix. But then we know what happened. The Kings blew a big lead and, and Marvin Bagley had his thumb broken and that was that. And it's been injury riddled ever since, not just for Bagley, but for everybody. If you've seen the recent news surrounding the Sacramento Kings, Fox is down with an injury right now. Uh, Marvin Bagley went down again with another foot injury. Uh, you have uh, Harrison Barnes, who's still in Sacramento, uh, trying to join the team after he passes two positive COVID tests. Alex Len just joined the team in Orlando. Uh, Buddy Heald was late, as was Jabari Parker. And now Rashawn Holmes, who is completely healthy finally, uh, is uh, just getting out of timeout basically in his room. <laughs> Had to go pick up he- his postmates. Yeah, he picked up his Postmates and stepped over the line, and now he's uh, behind the eight ball a little bit. So these scrimmage games are actually going to be really important for the Kings just to see what the hell they have. Although I don't think it's going to be a fair uh, barometer or measuring stick of what the Kings are because, I mean, Harry Giles is probably going to be playing starting center minutes, and Nemanja Bielitsa might even play the five. We've heard rumors that Corey Brewer is going to play the four. So the Kings are just going to throw out whatever they have left uh, for at least this first scrimmage game tomorrow against Miami. Uh, but honestly, going back to the night that the NBA ended, Kings, Pelicans, Pelicans in Sacramento, yep. national TV game, Rashawn Holmes was uh, expected to return. This might be some overconfidence from me, but based off of the way the Sacramento Kings were playing, I felt they were going to win that game. They typically rise to the occasion uh, in big games on national TV in their own building. They knew the importance of that game. They knew that the Pelicans were a major, um, a major pawn uh, in the or opponent rather in the race uh, for the eight seed that was going on at that time. So I personally feel that the Pelicans might have dodged a little bit of a bullet having not played that game. That being said, completely unbiased take here, looking at it for what it is. It would be absurd for me to say that the Kings are more of a favorite to catch the Grizzlies and steal that eight seed away than the Pelicans are right now. I believe the Pelicans are the front runner. They deserve to be the front runner. Who knows how that changes if Zion is going to be with the team or not. Uh, but I like a, 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 what the Pelicans are doing. It's just a shame there's not two spots available for both of these teams. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think if you were to have looked at it over like the final 18 games or so, which is how many the Pelicans had, I, I don't see Memphis staying in that spot over that stretch. They were banged up. They had one of the tougher schedules in the league. Pelicans had one of the easier schedules. The Kings were playing some really good basketball. And if you go back to early January when these two teams played, Pelicans only won on a last-second shot by J.J. Redick on that kind of scoop shot he had to win by two. So they yep. played them tough. These two Kings games in the bubble are the two that I'm the most worried about. I'm not even really worried about the Jazz or the Clippers for the Pelicans to start. I'm less worried about Memphis because they've beaten them handily twice. It's this Kings squad that, like, wait a second, they're playing really good basketball. And the fact is, what, uh, Fox should be fairly good to go by the time these two teams play, I think. Yeah, we did get some good news, thank God. Today. You don't get a lot of that, man. <laughs> not, not over the last few weeks. Sacramento has just been, hey, here's a new email with an injury update, which, by the way, my email box is about to crash or our email servers are about to crash with the amount of freaking press releases that we've had from injury updates about the Sacramento Kings, particularly Marvin Bagley. I made the joke on yesterday's podcast that you could basically cut and paste all of these uh, – 
injury reports uh, or injury releases about Marvin Bagley. And, and with the exception of a few words being changed, it's basically the same exact thing that we've gotten three freaking times now over the course of this season. So it's just been brutal uh, for poor Marvin Bagley. Uh, but we got some good news today, which was that De'Aaron Fox he already is a fast healer. We know that because he came back weeks early yeah. uh, from a grade three ankle sprain earlier on in the season. And if listeners aren't familiar, grade three ankle sprain, it's as, as bad of a sprain as it can be without tearing any ligaments. Like it's a serious, serious ankle sprain. And he was able to battle back from it, return. And, and he got off to a little bit of a slow start getting back into the swing of things, but then hit the ground running and the Kings were playing damn good basketball. Uh, so we are hearing that Fox is way ahead of schedule already on just this grade one ankle sprain. He's already participating in practice, although not full speed and full contact drills. He's, he's getting shots up. He's running up and down the floor. He's able to put weight on his ankle. They were very impressed with his improvement alone from day one to day two. Those are the words of Luke Walton that I'm quoting there. And he is expected, or the Kings are optimistic that De'Aaron Fox will be able to join the team. Uh, I imagine he might get maybe one of these scrimmage games in. Maybe it's game three. Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that, but the Kings are very confident that he'll be good to go at least for the 31st when the Kings open up their eight-game sprint against San Antonio. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's obviously the biggest thing for him. They, they've just kind of had a wonky time in the bubble with everything going on. And I think you and I were talking, you know, we don't even know if Harrison Barnes is going to be there, right? Yeah, Harrison Barnes right now is still in Sacramento. He's the only king in SAC. Uh, he is waiting for two positive, uh, or rather two negative back-to-back -back, uh, COVID tests. Now, we just spoke with Alex Len yesterday, and Alex was the most recent to go through this protocol in Sacramento and join the team. Uh, and he said it took him either 24 or 28 days or something like that. To I get saw two that. Back-to-back -back positive tests, which, and, and one of the reasons for it, he gave us kind of an insight to how this works, is they kept testing him. And there are three, I guess, strands or branches of the COVID virus. And he was always testing negative for two of them. But that third branch, he couldn't get out of his system or it just took longer for him to get out of his system. So it took him a while. He would pass one, then fail the second. He would pass or fail the first, then pass the second. So it just took him a little while to get those consecutively. From what we're hearing, Harrison Barnes is feeling good. They've been in communications with him. He's just waiting to pass protocol. So hopefully he'll be back and able to join the team for when the real game start. I imagine he won't be playing in any of these scrimmage games. But if he takes more than a week to come back, He's going to be way behind the eight ball, and the Kings might even have to consider not putting him in the starting lineup because he hasn't been with the team or working at all uh, with them over the last three weeks to a month. Yeah, no, that's really important. You know, these guys have all been gearing up. A lot of them have been playing ball in some capacity during all of this shutdown, but nothing mimics game speed like playing in games. When these scrimmages or going really hard in practices with your team playing five on five, like the Pelicans have been doing a ton of, and so not to have that can be, like you said, set you behind the eight ball and going back to that game in January, you had 30 points against New Orleans. He's going to be a key guy for you all um, during all of this. What do you think about the last game on the Kings schedule? They take on the Lakers in the final of these eight seeding games, whatever you want to call them. That's an interesting one to me because are the Lakers going to play everybody in that one? Are they even going to care about that game? They might have the one seed locked up, and that's something that could potentially tilt this whole thing too. 
See, I'm fascinated by that, Jake. And it's a, it's a great question because it's something that I've been looking at closely too. And under normal circumstances, I think the Kings would be feeling pretty good about playing the Lakers the final game because typically if you're a great team, a, a top seed, and you already know you have your spot secured, you're going to rest your guys heading into a playoff series because you don't want them to get hurt in a meaningless basketball game. That's just common. But now we're in this situation, right, where the Lakers have only eight games plus the scrimmage games, but really eight games to get themselves ready and get themselves into midseason form and more than that, playoff form, which we yeah. know the playoffs are a completely different beast. And if the Lakers, if the number one seeds, if they're not ready to go as, as they normally would be, that opens the door for a massive upset in the opening round from an eighth seed, which I think we I think we both agree is is very low probability. But yeah. even the second round or the third round, if they're not ready to go, they can get caught and they can get uprooted from their spot and suddenly they're they're not uh, competing for an NBA championship in the finals like they expected to be. And that goes for the Milwaukee Bucks as well as the Los it, Angeles Lakers. The Bucks you know, have the the Grizzlies in the final game too. Like that could factor into some of this. Though I I think we both seem to agree that the Memphis is going to hold on to the 8 spot through these 8 games whether they get into the playoffs after that play-in situation, I don't know, but I think they'll hold there, but that's an intriguing one too. Yeah, absolutely, and I imagine to some capacity from the Kings standpoint, LeBron and AD will play. Now, will they play a full 35 minutes? Maybe not. Maybe they only play 20 in the first half. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see with that. It is a winnable game, but if if the Lakers are obviously playing everybody and completely healthy, Sacramento is a, a massive underdog there. And if it comes down to the last game, uh, that's going to be all the more dramatic, both for the Kings and for the Grizzlies, like you said, um, taking on the Milwaukee Bucks. But I think it was Kent Bazemore who said it best, uh, at least from Sacramento's perspective. He says that it's not necessarily going to be the best team that wins it all this year. It's going to be the team that can out last everybody else and that's a race uh for the scoring the most points in a 48 minute game parallel with the race of keeping yourselves as healthy and dialed in as possible compared to your competition and it's just a massive curveball it's a massive wrench that opens the door for i know people talk a lot about asterisks next to an nba champion what if the houston rockets were able to win the championship or what if the oklahoma city thunder or the indiana pacers what if they won the championship put an asterisk next to it next to it because it never would have happened under normal circumstances i don't like the argument personally because everybody's in the same boat here they're all approaching this together. So I love when Kate, uh, Kent Bazemore said that. It, it is about just outlasting. And if the top seeds aren't ready to outlast the lower seeds who have nothing to lose, they could get caught. All right. We'll continue the conversation going with Matt George here in just a minute. But don't forget, subscribe to Locked On Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from here Monday through Friday for you all, breaking down everything you want to know about the league and the NBA's restart, as well as the Pels and Zion Williamson. So Locked On Pelicans, subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Oh, absolutely. It's it's uh, Austin Rivers said it and others echoed it, too. I think Giannis echoed it, saying that, you know, this you, if there's an asterisk on this, it's because it was harder to win a title this year than any other year uh, with everything kind of going on and the disruption to the season. And the Pelicans have said this a lot, too, that they think the mental aspect is going to be just as important as everything else. Who can kind of stay locked in? Uh, during all of these games is going to be really important. It's essentially going to be a road game for every team. 
every single game. So when you don't have a crowd to feed off of, how do you keep yourself going when your opponent goes on a run? How do you kind of break out of that and find like the mental fortitude to get things right and to try and go out and play your best basketball? It's that mental aspect of it. It's also going to be, I think, a big part of team chemistry because the bench plays a big part of that too. You know, guys jumping up and down, cheering on the team, having a lot of fun there on the bench, even if they're going to be spaced out as we've seen is going to be huge for this. So teams with really good team chemistry, really good culture, I think can find some sort of advantage, even if they're not as talented as some of, uh, some of the teams that are looking up in the standings against. Yeah, I feel that we're going to see a lot of abnormalities just when it comes to basketball itself. They, they call basketball a game of runs for a reason, but a lot yep. of time a home team goes down early uh, and has to come roaring back. They do so off of the energy that they create, but that their crowd and their fans sustain, especially uh, in a playoff series where it can go back and forth at, at, at any given time. So I wonder if those runs are going to become less common. Uh, I wonder if communication will be better or maybe worse uh, because now your opponents can hear you as clearly as you can with uh, it being so silent in those gymnasiums. It's it's I've heard it called basketball at its purest form, which I think is a little bit of a cliche, uh, cliche but I mean, that's, that's in reality what it is. And there's no more distractions. There's no more fanfare surrounding it all. It's just hardwood, five guys on five guys. They just happen to be 10 of the best players uh, to play <laughs> basketball on this planet. Uh, so it's going to be unique. It's going to be strange. I think there definitely is going to be a learning curve to it. And I think it's even going to change to a whole nother level once we get to the playoffs. We'll probably get used to what it is uh, during these these eight games by the time we're playing the final game or two of the quote unquote regular season, we'll be like, okay, this is what it's going to be. And then the opening playoff series will begin. And by the time these teams have played each other three, four times in a row, I think we're going to see tactics change dramatically. And that could lead to some very interesting storylines and scenarios. And these are things that can potentially extend beyond this. I love that idea. I love that this is just weird and different. You rarely get opportunities to experiment and just kind of do something so totally different in the circumstances of force the NBA's uh, hand on all of this. I think that's a good thing because who knows what will come out of it. And I kind of love the experimentation. Uh, I don't like the idea of putting crowd in there. I want to just kind of see it as it is and just see how that leads to different things like you said. Do opponents, can they play against you better and game plan against you better because they can hear and see everything maybe a little bit easier than they would otherwise. So th this is going to be fun. I'm just excited to get basketball back, but I'm excited to get a little weird with it too. So I'm very excited for all of these eight games. And yeah, this is going to be awesome. Jake, let me tell you what's on the top of my wish list. I know it's not going to happen because they have TV contracts with uh, with these massive TV companies. Uh, and so, and they have to regulate what is said on their airwaves and what's not. Uh, so there's probably going to be crowd noise pumped in, or they're going to have to turn the players down and the chatter on the court. Uh, but I'm fortunate, fortunate enough here in Sacramento to cover our local soccer team. They're a USL team, which is a step under the MLS, uh, which is major league soccer here, the Sacramento Republic FC. Uh, so I have gotten the privilege last week. I went to two different matches that they had uh, in the stadium. I was one of about 100 people in the stadium, a mixture of, of team staff, players, uh, and media. And I got the opportunity to watch the match, and I sat about four rows behind the Republic bench. And I got to experience what it was like to hear every little bit of communication, every chatter, uh, every bit of chatter, everything both coaches were saying, everything the officials were saying to the players. And it was an incredibly exciting, fun, 
and unique experience. I wish, I wish, I wish we could have a way to, maybe it's a subscription, uh, it, but there, or there's just an uncensored version of us being able to, through our TVs, hear and see and experience NBA basketball communication without the crowd noise or anything pumped in to just hear what that's going to be like on the floor. I am envious of the few media members uh, and team personnel who are there that get to sit there and watch and listen to all of that because it makes the game incredibly more entertaining. So a couple of years ago, when Eric Gordon was still on the team, he was out injured, as, as that often happened. And the Pelicans had a one-game road trip to Houston to take on the Rockets. We threw a watch party here in New Orleans at a local bar, and Eric Gordon actually showed up to the watch party to watch the game with us and like make an appearance and, I guess, try and get in better with the fans. And well, that's then awesome. It was awesome. So we sat down at a table with us, and there, I don't know, 40 of us there while watching this. He sat across from me, and then he and I just chatted for the whole two hours that the game was. And that is the most I've ever learned about basketball in one moment, and it's probably like the best educational session you can get. It is wild how much more these guys know than us when we think we're good at this. And hearing them talk about something while watching it gives you so much more insight into how the game is played and how they go about things. So getting that from being in there and just being able to listen to coaches more and all that, I think there's somewhat of like the same aspect of that. And that's just a really unique and great way to experience basketball. You're very right on that. So Jake, let me transition now into um, some conversation specifically about the New Orleans Pelicans, because we've kind of given the Kings perspective and talked about the Kings a little bit. They're kind of a flip of a coin right now uh, with the injuries and COVID issues that they're they're experiencing. So there are a lot of unknowns when it comes to the Sacramento Kings. And from my outside perspective, the major unknown, obviously, with the New Orleans Pelicans is Zion leaving the bubble. Now, I am praying uh, that I know he left for for some kind of family issue or family emergency. I'm praying it's not too serious and that he can come back. And ultimately, even if it improved the Kings' chances of, of beating the Pelicans, taking that ninth seed and making the play-in tournament against the Grizzlies, I want to see Zion play. I'm a basketball fan. When the Kings play the Pelicans in these two games, I want the best that the Pelicans got versus the best that the Sacramento Kings got and just see an absolute entertaining slugfest. So do you have any kind of update on Zion, what Zion's current situation is in? And then maybe you can answer this question as well. I've heard rumors that when he comes back, he has to uh, undergo uh, the standard 10-day quarantine. I've also heard that it's only four days because he's going to a controlled environment with controlled charter flights. Uh, Can you provide maybe a little update on that? Yeah, so so good for you for wanting Zion back. I think when it comes to especially like family health, you never want something to go wrong and no one wants to root for injuries and all of this. But there's no update. It's it's actually kind of oddly quiet and maybe people are taking a different approach from this because it has to do with like a family member's health in the middle of a pandemic and no one's saying anything, which is either good or bad depending on how you look at it. So no real update there. Alvin Gentry spoke to the media the other day and said he hadn't spoken to Zion since Zion left. So we've got nothing. It is straight radio silence. In terms of him returning and being ready to go on opening uh, night for this, the Pelicans play the Utah Jazz on Thursday the 30th. He Being ready to go in the quarantine period he'll have back at the bubble depends on his testing uh, abilities during this time that he's away. If he's getting tested every single day and he has seven negative tests while he's gone, he only needs to have a four-day quarantine period. So in theory – He can come back Sunday, Monday, depending on how you want to look at it, the 26th, 27th, 
and potentially be ready to go for the game on the 30th. If he's not getting tested every day or he's not testing negative, then that extends the quarantine period potentially to 10 days. And so if he comes back on Monday the 27th and it's 10 days, you're looking at a little while until he's able to play, and that's when things start to get dicey about him missing a significant chunk of all of this. I'm not as worried about him, say, not being in shape when he comes back. He got a lot of work uh, on court work in some capacity during this hiatus. He was still actually going into the team's facility during the break because he was considered a rehabbing player. Uh, due to the knee injury that kept him out for most of the season. I don't think he was getting a ton of on-court work in there, but he uh, told us that he was working out with his stepfather every single day during that uh, hiatus. And you kind of saw that picture of him with the mask on where he either looks like a superhero or supervillain, depending on which side of this you're on. Uh, And he looks good. And it sounds like they've worked a lot of the biomechanical issues with him out. The Pelicans were really focused on getting him to run with better form. He kind of waddles like a penguin right now down the court still beats people down the court with that sort of waddle but if you can refine his mechanics he should be an even better basketball player than we've already seen it sounds like those really got worked on it sounds like his jumper's a little bit better that's been a weakness of his so whenever he comes back I think he's going to surprise people and play even better than the regular season the question is will it be on opening night or not well, we should all be rooting for him to play on opening night to steal a line from WWE wrestling. Zion Williamson is best for business and the NBA obviously Absolutely. wants him there. Uh, they want to, to see him play, but all fans should want to see Zion play. It's like going and paying for tickets to watch your team take on LeBron James's team. If LeBron James doesn't play, you're disappointed. It should be the same way with Zion. I'm not putting him on that LeBron pedestal yet. He still has a long way to go, and I know the hype around him is very, very real and very, very strong, maybe too over the top at times. Uh, But we want to see this young man play, and that includes the Sacramento Kings, who want the opportunity, uh, opportunity to beat him for the first time. That being said, let's talk worst case scenario here. Let's let's say that uh, one of the things Luke Walton has been saying is that the team is preparing as if all these guys that have tested positive for COVID or who are out with injury, the Kings are preparing as if none of them are coming back just so they are they are ready in case that becomes reality. Now they're they're hopeful that they will get guys back. I mentioned De'Aaron Fox and, and Rashawn Holmes and things like that, Harrison Barnes even, uh, but they're preparing as if none of them are coming back. So let's assume the Pelicans are preparing as if Zion is not coming back at all and he is out for this entire playoff push. How dramatically does that affect Pelicans chances of making that ninth seed and then on top of that defeating uh, the Grizzlies twice in a row and making the playoffs yeah so it, it impacts it obviously like there's no other way to put it Zion's putting up ridiculous numbers for a rookie to the tune of where are they here 23.6 points per game alongside 6.8 rebounds he's also shooting 59 percent from the field you can't just make that up but going into Zion's return the game against the San Antonio Spurs which they lost this team was 10-4 and four over the previous four, uh, 14 games. So I think even without Zion, they feel pretty good about their chances. That includes a win over the Memphis Grizzlies, too, where they beat them very handily by double digits. So they're going to feel very confident about this. They're led by Brandon Ingram, 
first time all-star candidate for most improved player. You still have Drew Holiday that can neutralize an opponent's best perimeter threat. That's a really big deal in this bubble where who knows what we're going to see in terms of basketball. You've got Lonzo Ball, who's playing the best basketball of his career in the lead up to all of this. So they're going to feel really, really good about their chances. They think Zion, there's a phrase we have here in New Orleans and Louisiana called lanyap, and they feel Zion's kind of lanyap here, just a little something extra with it all that it adds to the team that was already playing much better basketball. So they're going to feel good. It's going to change their lineups a little bit, and I think that's going to be different already. I don't, you know, you'll probably see Brandon Ingram play the power forward spot. They're going to start Derek Favors up front too. And then it's, do you put a guy like J.J. Redick or Josh Hart in at the three, and then your backcourt is Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball. And it's going to eat away some of the depth, which at times is there, at times isn't. Kind of depends on how you feel about guys like each one more and others. Solid players, but unspectacular. Can they win you a game? I don't know. That's a big concern. But they're going to feel pretty confident that this team is playing that Alvin Gentry style of ball that wants to get out and run and get easy buckets in transition. And as long as the defense is there, and Zion's been a negative on defense so far, that they'll get those stops and be able to get out and run, and it doesn't change kind of the, the DNA of this team a whole ton. But certainly, certainly they'd like to have Zion there because it just makes life easier for Brandon Ingram. You've got to double Zion when he has the ball and send two guys at him or use him to tr- uh, or use him as a decoy to open things up for others. And it just makes everyone's life easier in the half court in particular, which is an area the Pelicans struggle. So if teams can slow things down in, the, in these eight seeding games, the Pelicans might not do as well as I'd hope and we'd hope in all of this. But if Zion's there, that becomes just a little bit harder to do. If that's the case, then I, I got to imagine that the Pelicans and Pelicans fans might be feeling pretty good against a matchup with the Sacramento Kings who are going to be forced to play small because of the injury issues uh, that we've already talked about that they're dealing with. And on top of that, we know that the Kings like to play fast and play out in transition, which is going to play into the hands of, I guess, how the Pelicans want to play. Obviously, Zion's a major question mark, but Jake, I wish you were with me in Sacramento when the Kings and Pelicans played earlier on this season because we had that crazy moment of Brandon Ingram fouling, uh, inexcusably fouling um, Nemanja Bialica, who got the four-point play to tie that game yep. up at the end when the Kings had no business. Uh, having no, that one should have been over. And But I'm telling you, yeah. I'm telling you, <laughs> I was sitting here before that game even started, and I was sitting around with uh, a couple of friends of mine who were at the game and then with media members up in the media section in Sacramento, and I was telling people, I am most afraid of J.J. Redick because J.J. Redick has been a king's killer over the years. He is that perfect player, that just wing shooting white guy, and I say that tongue in cheek, that has killed the king's for years. It used to be Ryan Anderson. It's been JJ Redick before. There's always someone that fits that kind of mold, that style of play that just eats the Kings for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It always happens. So it didn't surprise me at all that JJ Redick was able to hit that game winner and that the Pelicans were able to steal that game away. Well, really, I shouldn't say steal. They, they were in control. It was the Kings who tried to steal it away in their own building. But I say all that to say this. As a Kings media member, but also a King supporter going into those two matchups that these two teams are going to have. And who knows the circumstances around those games. When we get to that point, a lot can change from today till then, but assuming everything is just straight up information. We know now I am more concerned about the veteran presences on this Pelicans team 
than I am about the young stars like Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Lonzo. Truly, because it's those veterans that make the difference in these moments that can keep the composure that I think is going to be so important. And while the Kings do have good veteran pieces on this roster, they are fully reliant on De'Aaron Fox to carry them through. And this is a moment he hasn't been in yet. No, look, this is why the Pelicans went out and signed J.J. Redick to a two-year deal to bring him in. They knew how young their roster is. They knew these guys might kind of wilt in a moment like this. The Pelicans have been awful, awful in the clutch this year. You need a guy like J.J. Redick who can step up in that moment. He's joked about that game a lot, saying he had to reach deep down into his veteran bag to kind of break out that move that scored. He's a shooter. He's not a guy who's going to drive and kind of do what he did there. So he's hugely important for a team that's just never been in this all those young lakers guys that came over in the anthony davis trade ingram ball Hart, they didn't play meaningful games in la they might have played pressure filled games because you were on a team with lebron but they never played in meaningful games now all of a sudden all of these guys are kind of thrown right into the fire and you're gonna need to rely on a guy like jj reddick in the clutch to get it done or to help this king kind of keep its head uh during a game that might be closer than it should and you need those guys on a young team Drew Holiday has it to an extent, but he's never come through in the clutch for New Orleans really in his whole time here. It's been kind of the one disappointing aspect of his tenure. So you need those veteran guys. So having a guy like J.J. Redick, and this goes back to what we were saying earlier, having kind of uh, that mental aspect, guys who know what to do, and Redick's on, what, a 13, 14-year playoff streak, and he wants to keep that going, could be a difference maker for New Orleans outside of his shooting, I think. So I'm thrilled to have those guys on the roster. I'm kind of laughing hearing you talk about guys that have consistently killed the Kings because we scream about similar players here in New Orleans, freaking Will Barton, man, who's <laughs> always beating up yep. uh, the Pelicans and different ones like that. So I'm glad that we play the Kings twice and have a guy like J.J. Redick on the roster during this. And I really think he's going to be a dis- difference maker. And I'll tell you this, this is what I've said a lot on the Locked on Kings podcast and also on KHDK Radio here in Sacramento, which is the flagship radio station of the Kings. If the Kings lose both these games to the Pelicans, they're done. They're flat out done. If they win one of the two, they have a chance. But I'm telling you, from the Locked on Kings perspective, for your Pelicans listeners, truly, even if the Kings are 100% healthy, if the Pelicans beat the Kings once, I think the Pelicans beat the Kings and, and win that ninth seed. I think Sacramento has to beat New Orleans twice. Why? Here's the reason. There are other games on the Kings' schedule that looking at it, you go, yeah, those are very winnable games. The Kings should win that game against Brooklyn. The Kings should win that game against San Antonio. The Kings should win that game against Orlando. It's those should-win games that have demolished Sacramento for the last 14 years because the Kings play to the level of their competition. They're going to be up, they're going to be ready, and they're going to be excited to play in those two games against the Pelicans because they know how important they are and they also know the hype around the Pelicans. If they made it to the play-in tournament against the Grizzlies, I feel pretty confident that they they could actually beat the Grizzlies twice in a row because they know the importance of those games. Yeah, no, that... That makes sense to me. I'm just saying these games against the teams that they quote-unquote should beat, that they are the favorite in, those scare me more than the Pelicans, the Lakers, and the Rockets do. And that's the sad truth of the Sacramento Kings. So we'll continue with Matt George of Locked On Kings here in just a second. But don't forget, again, subscribe. Locked On Pelicans, wherever you get your podcast from. Tell a friend about the show as well and leave a five-star review with a comment. Takes like 30 seconds, helps keep this free in five days a week for you all.
it's also the sign of a young team too, right? You know, that's maybe expected early on with some of these young guys as they kind of just figure things out. It takes a little bit to, you know, just be a pro and to kind of keep yourself up and keep up for all of those games. So I, I agree with you that, you know, it happens. You worry about it, particularly with the young team. I'm terrified of it here in New Orleans in this, where basically for the Pelicans who need to keep pace with the Memphis Grizzlies, you've got to win as many games as them and win one more than Portland does. And, you know, if you drop one of those because you think you're better than them and you don't take it nearly as seriously, because for whatever reason, you're going to lose. And all of a sudden, maybe you're knocked out. And that's a big problem. So it doesn't sound like either of us are too worried about Portland when it comes to this. I think their schedule kind of takes them out. And, you know, even though they're getting healthy, getting Nurkic and Zach Collins back, I, I don't know. I haven't seen those guys. But, you know, Nurkic hasn't played in over a year. So it's going to be kind of curious to see how they kind of go through all of this. Yeah, I'm back and forth with Portland because out of all of these bubble teams right now, they have the biggest bona fide star who's been there yep. before. Portland, under normal circumstances, Portland would absolutely be the odds-on favorite. But you've brought, uh, brought up their difficult set schedule, which is a very real thing that they have to go through, and the fact that they haven't had their their two most important bigs for the majority of the season. Nurkic hasn't played at all this year, and we know how important he is to that team. Uh, and it's tough to just pick up a basketball and get right back to your playoff form. Uh, so I, I, I am still concerned about the uh, Trailblazers. I'm not writing them off to begin with. But overall, against all the bubble teams from the Kings' perspective, Jake, the New Orleans Pelicans are the only one that the Kings haven't beaten. They've beaten Portland. They've beaten the Grizzlies three out of four times. They've beaten San Antonio. It's truly the Pelicans are the biggest unknown for Sacramento. And that's why we're most excited to play them, but also most concerned. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, from my perspective on it, you know, I'm not worried about Portland in this, you know, like you mentioned, they have the best player maybe, you know, in a vacuum out of any of these bubble teams in Damian Lillard. But we've seen that he has failings um, in clutch games at times, uh, particularly playing the Pelicans too when they swept him in the playoffs a couple of years ago because there's ways you can neutralize Lillard. And if he's not going, it's tough for that team. I just don't know, and I don't know what to expect from Nurkic, who hasn't played in over a year. He's very good, but that's a lot of time off. And their schedule is just absolutely brutal. Like They don't catch any team at the right time over these eight games. So kind of writing them off, and then I look at the biggest competition being the Kings, partially because there's two games against them, too. If you win both of those, all of a sudden, New Orleans is going to be on the outside looking in. Those two games against the Kings and the Pelicans are probably kind of the key to this whole thing, in my opinion. I have another question for you about the Pelicans and the record that they need to go on over these eight games. But going back to Damian uh, Lillard one more for one more thing, Lillard doesn't want to be here. And I think that's been made pretty clear by the comments that he has put out there. Now he's going to show up and he's going to play because he's a competitor and he's there for his team. But Lillard has already said publicly that if the games aren't meaningful, he ain't playing. So what happens if the Blazers go 0-3 in their first three games? or That's 1-4? a really good point. Suddenly they drop out. Lillard's not going to risk injury and illness to, to play in these final four games, at least from what he says. And that could that kills the Pelican, or rather the Blazers' chances right then and there. So that's going to be important uh, to keep an eye on from both of our perspectives. Now let me transition to the question that I had for you. I feel if the Sacramento Kings are going to make the play-in game or play-in tournament or whatever we're calling it, they have to go 6-2. and two. Five and three might get it done, but they have to rely on the other bubble teams dropping some winnable games. 
to me, it has to be six and two for Sacramento to make it. And that is a tough ask. It is possible with the style that the Kings play. And there's going to be a surprise team out there. There always is when random crap like this happens. So you don't have to go uh, get on a hot streak for too long. But six and two is a very uphill battle for Sacramento. In your mind, in the Pelican situation, as sounding like the universal favorite to to win that ninth seed. What record do you think it takes for New Orleans uh, to secure that ninth seed in that play-in tournament against Memphis? Yeah, so the way I've been describing it is, again, they need to stay even with Memphis since they're three and a half games back. You've got to be within four to force the play-in tournament between eight and nine, and they're behind the Portland Trail Blazers because the Blazers played two games in terms of winning percentage. Winning one more game than Portland does it. So it's to me, it's a little bit less than picking a number for New Orleans and more what does Portland do? And as long as you do a little bit better than them, that's okay, potentially, depending on how things go too. I'm factoring in assuming they win both games against the Kings because I don't think you can look at it other than that. I think 6-2 and gets them in. I actually think that's a pretty realistic opportunity for New Orleans to kind of face. They have the only schedule that their opponent's winning percentage is under 500 in this. They have by far the easiest. One of the toughest games might have been the second night of a back-to-back after playing the Kings then immediately the next night playing the Washington Wizards. But, you know, who's playing for the Wizards at this point? I'm not worried about that game anymore. I'm not really concerned about the Spurs, a team they play, or the Magic right at the end. It's these two Kings games. If you can win both of those, I feel okay. Getting the Jazz and Clippers right off the bat when we don't know what this is all going to look like makes me feel a little bit better. In fact, they're favored against the Jazz on the opening game. So I think 6-2 and two is actually very realistic, even if Zion misses some time. Well, Jake, all I'll say is this. Regardless of the state of both these teams, whether they have Zion, the Pelicans do, or whether the Kings have Fox and Bagley, uh, who knows? And there's, uh, like I said, a lot that can change between now uh, and then. But the one thing that is very exciting is that basketball is coming back, that the Kings are going to be involved in some capacity, that the Pelicans are going to be involved in some capacity. Obviously, both these teams have, have aspirations to play more than eight games, but just to get to see them play these eight games plus the scrimmage games is a win in its own right. Uh, And uh, I I guess I'll end with this question. The Kings recognize that even if they don't make the playoffs, these eight games are extremely important to the development of their young players. These eight games are essentially playoff games for De'Aaron Fox. He knows that he needs to put the team on his back if the Kings are going to have a chance. Now, hopefully he can play if he's healthy to play. Every single second of playing time he's going to get over these eight games is going to be absolutely crucial. Same thing for Marvin Bagley if he plays. Same thing for Buddy Heald and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who are older but still young in terms of NBA uh, years. What about the New Orleans Pelicans? Are they looking at these eight games the exact same way, saying we have expectations to make the playoffs, but even if we don't, these games are absolutely invaluable for Ingram, for Ball, and for Zion, assuming he plays. You summed it up perfectly. The Pelicans' goal the whole year, as stated by David Griffin himself, has been playing meaningful games in March and April. Well, we didn't get games in late March and in April, so now it's just shifted to play meaningful games in July and August and hopefully beyond that. You're getting that in these eight. These are pressure-filled. As I've said, they're all game sevens, essentially. You have eight game sevens. This is when you can really see what some guys are made of, how they prepare, how they act like a professional basketball player that wants to go out and win. Is Ingram capable of being the man, particularly when Zion's out? We're going to get answers to those questions, I think. And so that's very important for the growth of these young players for both of these young teams. So you said it perfectly. 
Well, Jake, I can't wait for all eight of these games, but especially these two games against the Pelicans, we might as well look at that uh, as a a two-game series because those are going to be dramatic. They're going to be pressure-filled for both teams, and I can promise you this, even if the Kings aren't uh, fully healthy and are a little bit out of it, those games are still going to be very important for them. So I want Pelicans fans to know that you are going to get the best from the Sacramento Kings. Uh, I would imagine that the Pelicans right now feel that they can handle that as they are better than the Kings overall. I think that's a fairly safe thing to say, but the Kings are ready to prove some teams wrong and they have their sights set not only on the Grizzlies, the Pelicans are right in their crosshairs. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't wait. And those are the two games that scared me the most. So we're going to see how this goes. And look, I'm just happy. Like you said, this is a win that we're getting basketball back. So this is awesome. I'm excited. uh, And I can't wait for all this. I'm glad we did this. We got to do this again at some point. Absolutely. Maybe before the second game or before the first game after one of the games, let's definitely do it again. But it's going to be dramatic. And I think the Pelicans and the Kings both have the chance uh, to really steal the show here uh, during this eight game sprint. If the Kings can't make it and the Pelicans do, I'm not going to say I'll be happy for you guys in New Orleans. uh, But there's a reason why a lot of people want to see the Zion versus John Morant, uh, number one pick versus number two pick in the uh, in that play in tournament. And a lot of people, of course, want to see Zion and these Pelicans in the playoffs. So if the Kings can't make it and don't make it, I guess it's not a bad consolation prize. No, I mean, I think everyone's happy to see Zion. It's been a lot of fun to watch him even just through 19 games this year. So you're welcome aboard the bandwagon anytime. Nope. I'm, I'm jumping <laughs> off as soon as you invite me on, my friend. Well, I'm sticking with my broken down wagon on the side of the road that is the Sacramento Kings who are looking to make the playoffs for the first time in over 14 freaking years. It has been a long haul, and there would be some poetic justice to the Kings finally making it and the fans not being there to celebrate. It would be perfect Kangs. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way <laughs> to look at it. That's just making me laugh now. Yeah, I dig it. Uh, look, I, I think they get in if it's not the Pelicans. So we're going to see how this goes. And those two games are going to be huge. Jake, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. And uh, let's hope we get some, uh, some good dramatic games for us to talk about in the future. Of course, Matt, I enjoyed it. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans, a long edition of Locked On Pelicans. Big thanks to Matt George for taking the time to chat with me. We just kept going, and it was so good. I just wanted to play it for you all. So enjoy the scrimmage tonight, pelicans.com. If you want to watch it and kind of see what's going on with the team, we will break it all down for you tomorrow as we kind of recap it all and see what the big takeaways for it as we see some like actual NBA basketball for the first time in a very, very long time. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. And we'll be back with you all tomorrow.